Good day, everyone. Welcome to the joint OOR Ontolog panel discussion session. This is December 4th, year 2008, and、uh, we have today a session entitled Ontology Registry and Repository Technology and Infrastructure Landscape, Take Two. So essentially, we are trying to look at the state of the art of ontology registries and repository.、Uh, before I pass the session on to、uh, the session co-chair,、uh, Dr. Paul Butler,、uh, I would like to maybe give people a little bit of context.、Uh, essentially,、uh, in the ontology community, particularly people close to Ontolog,、uh, there are actually two parallel initiatives、uh, going on. One. Under the auspices of the Open Ontology Repository Initiative,、uh, that started at the beginning of the year, and then there has been a discourse uh, under the uh, initiative called Ontology Summit 2008, which took place back in spring 2008.、Uh, while the OOR Uh, initiative, which is a working group, is still continuing to do their implementation work.、Uh, the discourse sort of ended with the ontology summit, and, but it was generally recognized that there is a need to for continued dialogue, discourse, exchange of ideas, and collaboration. And with the latter in mind,、uh, a joint OOR ontolog panel series. Has been conceived, and、uh, Paul Butler,、uh, Mike Dean, Michelle Raymond,、uh, Ken Baklowski, and myself,、uh, Peter Yim,、uh, are sort of jointly co-championing this series of virtual panel discussions. We hope、uh, with this、uh, we can provide a platform for sharing ideas among colleagues who are working on、uh, related projects、uh, to open. Ontology repositories, and then we can thrash out research and development issues, explore opportunities for collaboration and synergy, and so on. So,、uh, with that, I would like to invite、uh, our co-chair,、uh, Dr. Paul Butler,、uh, to take over from here.、Uh, Paul is a senior researcher at the. Uh, German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence in the DFKI Language Technology Lab.、Uh, he also co-heads co the DFKI Competence Center for Semantic Web. His main research interests are in language technologies for semantic-based information access.、Uh, he has been. A、uh, researcher or project leader on a number of nationally and internationally funded projects,、uh, and、uh, you can see his、uh, bio if you click on the name on his name on the session page.、Uh, on that note, I will pass the session over to Paul. All yours, Paul. Okay. Thanks, Peter.、Um, I hope everybody can understand me.、Uh, Correctly.、Um, again, so yeah, welcome to this session. I will try to moderate this this session、uh, as well as possible.、Uh, we have three speakers today: Mathieu、uh, Daquin, from、uh, originally from France but now in the UK, 
Matthew Horich, uh, based in the UK, and myself, I'm based in Germany. And um, all three are sort of uh, European-based, uh, uh, all three speakers will present European-based uh, initiatives in ontology repositories, which I think makes it a little different and complementary to the first uh, session, or the first session in this uh, series, where um, a number of American US-based initiatives were presented, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, so again, um, let me introduce then uh, Mathieu first. Um, he will talk about uh, the Watson Semantic Web Search Engine. Uh, Mathieu, uh, as I said, is uh, originally from France, did his PhD there at uh, Nancy University and is now at the Knowledge Media Institute. And um, Mathieu, are you yeah, ready I to think I'm talk online. about Watson? Yeah. So, hi everybody. So, uh, I said my name is Mathieu Dakin from the Knowledge Media Institute. Um, and I'm here to talk a bit about Watson and about... Uh, how this initiative may relate to ontology repositories. Uh, so if you are very lucky, you should normally have a slide in front of you saying from Watson to ontology repositories with my name in front of it. And the reason is that Watson, I mean, for those of you who don't know it, uh, is not an ontology repository. Uh, from a general perspective, you can see it as a sort of semantic web search engines, which include ontologies, so you can search ontologies, you can try to find them, you can try to um, select ontologies for reuse. So going to slide number two, a first question would be why finding and why searching for ontologies? And um, there are many, many answers to this, and, uh, and I think both ontology repository and semantic web search engines provide complementary solutions to that. The first answer is for use. Basically, there are more and more ontologies online, and uh, it is recognized as a good practice to try to uh, build upon what exists, to reuse what exists, to adopt uh, what has been already adopted as a standard as in practice. Uh, obviously, not to reinvent the wheel, and simply because if we have the proper tools, if we can have the proper infrastructure, reusing to build ontologies is a lot simpler than building, building them from scratch. At least we hope that it will be simpler. Now, the other perspective is that you may want to find ontologies for applications. You may not want to have to, uh, to build your ontologies yourself. You may want to reuse what already exists to exploit it in applications. And simply because applications or semantic applications need this knowledge in ontologies, and uh, and it's hard to acquire. I, I mean, it's hard to to get this knowledge you need for an application into into a proper ontology. Um, also, there is another point: is that if you consider the kind of old-fashioned way of building semantic applications, which is you gather experts all together and uh, you ask them to build an ontology with the help of a knowledge engineer, uh, this doesn't really match, or this doesn't really fit for many scenarios when you need actually to find this knowledge at runtime. But the, you cannot really expect to know what knowledge will be required in, uh, at the moment you, act, you design the application. The, this sort of scenario can, 
can be, for example, question answering or annotation in open domain when you just, you can't uh, expect to know a priori all the possible um, elements of knowledge you will have to include in the application. So you need to find ontologies describing this knowledge at runtime. And getting into the same, I mean, the same sort of ideas, uh, in some scenarios, well, the more knowledge you have, so the more ontologies you can gather together and uh, use, as the better the application will be. Now, there is a, another, if you go to slide three, there is another uh, huge reason for trying to find ontologies. There is an, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> an animation here, so if you click, well, the simple reason is that because there are lots of them, if you click again, you will see that, you know, all these diagrams in this uh, animation show different perspectives on different data sets, different ontologies, uh, I mean, made available online that people can use and that are available according to semantic web standard, meaning that if you can find them, you can use them, you can integrate them, and you, you can actually exploit them to uh, do something. And there are lots of them. I mean, there are thousands of proper old ontologies and hundreds of millions of RDF data, RDF data sets that can be accessed, that can be used directly at runtime if you have the proper infrastructure, infrastructure for this. So if you go to slide uh, four, well, it doesn't say much. Uh, it says that Watson is a search engine for the semantic web, the way we try to address uh, this need for infrastructure components for applications and ontology builders to reuse knowledge that is available is to build a search engine, something that will index this knowledge. Um, there is another small animation here. So if you click, uh, you will see that actually search engine is not our preferred way to, uh, to describe what's done. We tend to call it a gateway for the semantic web more than a search engine in a in, in, for some reason, I will explain a bit later. But if you go to slide five, um, you will see that the architecture of Watson, in principle, is very close to the architecture of a standard semantic web, uh, standard search engine, a standard web search engine, meaning that the first thing we do is to crawl the web and track different uh, sources of ontologies, different uh, actually existing repositories, uh, we use Google, we use things the semantic web, we use all different sources and crawl them regularly to collect ontologies and to collect RDF data sets uh, to index. All this goes into our cache, goes into a uh, sort of history of the URLs we have encountered, and all this is validated and analyzed to create an index, an index containing multi multiple layers of information about the ontologies and the semantic data sets we have, we have found. We can index at the level of the document. We can index different metadata about these documents that we automatically extract. We index the content of the document, the different entities and relations that contain, and, uh, and various elements like this to then uh, propose an API, uh, a complete in programmatic infrastructure for application to exploit this index, meaning finding data, finding content, 
which can be used for for keyword search for ontology exploration, meaning navigating through the content of uh, through the content of ontologies that can be queried and that can be simply uh, displayed in an interface. There is a part on user evaluation that I will not uh, detail here. So, in slide six, um, you see a kind of a very uh, broad overview of the interface of Watson, the kind of the web, uh, the web presence Watson has, meaning that on top of this API, we obviously had to build an interface so that people can put keywords, find ontologies, and explore them. So I will just go through quickly through the elements of this interface. You can find the interface at the URL watson.kmi.open.ac.uk. The URL is at the end, so that should not be a problem. And you can see that it's very simple and easy to use and uh, should normally help in finding ontologies and elements of ontologies. Um, so the first thing it does, and that's where it really looks like a search engine, is keyword search. You can simply type keywords. You can restrict the query according to what you want to find. So in the case of uh, slide 7, uh, if I type researcher and organization, I say I want research organization being classes or individuals, uh, and I want the word researcher and organization to match either the local name or the label of these classes and individuals. What I get as a result is a set of ontologies, or sometimes RDF, um, RDF data sets, that describe, that contain classes or individuals that are researcher organization, which is reasonably simple. So in, you can see that here the first one is the HTT portal ontology that contains a class researcher and, organ and a class organization. You have first elements of metadata about this ontology, its size, the language it's used. You can see that we can handle RDF, RDFS, DEML plus soil, and, uh, and all. And uh, you can see also that we extract the description logics that is underlying this particular ontology. Um, now, the interesting part is that apart from giving you the, the, the location and where to find this particular ontology, you can start exploring. So if you go to slide eight, which I'm trying to do, you can see that if you click in the previous interface on the organization class, then what you obtain is basically the semantic description of this class, meaning you get all the relations it has with different other entities of this ontology or of other ontologies. And then you can continue your exploration like this, clicking to other, uh, on other entities and exploring these or other ontologies this way. And you can explore the entire, uh, the entire collection of ontologies that Watson contains in uh, in this simple web interface. We also have a graphical representation of um, of, the, of an entity, but uh, this is really to look pretty. It's not necessarily the most useful representation ever, but the same in the same way, if you click to diff on different entities, you just uh, jump from elements to elements, from ontologies to ontologies, to explore its content. Now, Imagine that you have uh, navigated through ontologies, found one that you 
thing is shoot well what you want to do with it, then you just have to click on its URL. And if you go, to, uh, if you look at slide nine, this is what you, you obtain. This is all the different pieces of metadata we extract about the, the ontologies we collect. So we extract, as I said before, size in, you know, in, um, in bytes, uh, number of statements, the language, its label and comment if they are specified. We automatically find the underlying description logic, which is reasonably simple, number of class properties, etc. We have a link to, um, to a system called review.com, uh, where you can put a review, write an ontology, write a review about it, and this review will be shown here, and you can actually go and write your own and give your opinion about this particular ontology. You can have its this location, uh, the ontology, the other ontologies it imports, and the ontology that are imported by this one. And if you look at the top links, you see you can also get the cache files, you can query the ontology with Sparkle. Uh, I will go next slide about that. And you can get what uh, the OMV description of the ontology, OMV being the ontology metadata vocabulary, which is basically an ontology to describe metadata about ontologies. So you can um, you get a machine processable description of all this information that is here in all that you can collect and use. And all this is uh, exploitable, obviously, by uh, by machines. Uh, then if you go to slide 10, you see that clicking on the Spark uh, query with Sparkle, you get a small interface to fire a Sparkle query to this particular ontology and get the results. And again, the results are clickable, meaning that once you have found these, um, once you have obtained the results, you can click on any entity, get to the description of the entity, continue to navigate, and then get eventually to an ontology that uh, that suits your need and from which you can do something. So this is basically about the interface of Watson, what you can do if you go to Watson on the web. Now, if you go to slide 11, um, it basically said, this is not what we are interested in. I mean, the interface is a nice thing. It is useful. It is something we have to show. But the real interest of Watson is the service it provides to build applications. How uh, we can give to application developers, to semantic application developers, everything that is needed to dynamically at runtime, when the application is running, find semantic web documents, retrieve the metadata about them, find the entities within the document and explore the semantic description, meaning getting all the relations, uh, jumping through, navigating through relations, and also formally query these uh, ontologies through Sparkle queries or, or other ways. So basically, this is why we call Watson a gateway for the semantic web more than a semantic web search engine, in a sense that we really want Watson to be an interface for machine more than for humans. It is useful to have an interface for humans, but uh, our primary goal is to get Watson to be an interface between applications and the semantic web so that these applications can make use of what is made available in a distributed, heterogeneous, and uh, very often complex way on the web in an homogeneous, simple, efficient, and robust uh, interface. So um, 
if you go to slide 12, uh, well, this basically is a, is a nice representation of what I just said, meaning that you get somewhere in the upper left corner a big messy cloud of things that uh, is supposed to represent the semantic web in all its heterogeneity, in all its um, distributivity. And you get what's on at the middle that just collect and index all these elements to make it available to applications at runtime and in, a, in an efficient and robust way. So I can spend a bit of time showing a few, I mean, a couple of these applications, actually two. Uh, at slide 13, you see the interface of uh, uh, an application we call PowerAqua, which is basically doing open domain, semantic web-based question answering, meaning that you can just there is, a, again, an, uh, an animation here. If you click, you can see that there is a box somewhere to put a, a question in natural language. This question is interpreted by ProAqua using the gate, uh, the gate toolkit to try to understand what it means. Uh, ProAqua also uses a number of techniques like you know, extending the question through synonyms and this sort of thing. And then ProAqua will use Watson to find on the web ontologies and semantic data sets that basically can answer the question, can provide an answer to the question, meaning that you will find ontologies that contain the elements of the question, and they try to match the uh, its interpretation of the question to some form of triple patterns that you can apply directly to uh, the farm ontology. So if you see in this example, you get... Um, you get an ontology where there, are, there, is a triple, uh, there is a triple pattern that applies, which is musician uh, uh, that has members, no, that is members of, uh, a member of Nirvana. So Nirvana being in that case a rock band. So basically, Poraqua has matched this question who are the members of the rock group Nirvana to this, this uh, triple, Nirvana as members musician. And Applying this triple pattern just uh, extract from the semantic data the, um, the correct answer. So if you click, there is another animation here showing you where the answer is. And this is apparently the list of all the members of the rock group Nirvana uh, among time. So now if you go to slide 14, uh, you can see another application which is a bit different. I mean, the previous one is about end-user application, something where you can ask basically questions to the semantic web, whoever you are and whatever you do. This one, which is called the Watson plugin, is an application for ontology builder, for ontology developers. The idea is that whenever you build an ontology, you may want to have access to other ontologies that may have described entities that you are interested in. In this particular example, we want to build an ontology about the academic domain. And anybody who has spent a bit of time on the semantic web will know that there exist at least a dozen of these sorts of these ontologies, describing researchers, students, academic courses, publications, all these sort of things. So what you can do with, um, with the Watson plugin is within an ontology environment, within an ontology editor, currently we support the Neon Toolkit and the Protege, Protege Ontology Editor, you can just create an empty entity, a class researcher, 
And again, an animation. If you if you click, you see that on each entity you have a drop-down menu where you can click on Watson search. What this will do is simply to search in Watson any entity, any class researcher that has been described in any ontology on the web. So whenever you have that, um, which is a click away from you, so you just click and you get where the entity is in the screen. So you get a dozen of these uh, this researcher classes described anywhere on the web. And associated to these, to these entities that it has found uh, on the semantic web, there are statements, elements saying researcher, in this ontology, researcher is described as a subclass of person. Researcher is the domain of the property list author in. Uh, researcher is also subclass, uh, as a subclass which is computer science researcher. The comment for researcher is this includes different types specialization of uh, something else, and the label is researcher. And the nice thing is what you can do is use it by one click, simply integrate these statements to make them a part of your ontology, meaning that up oh, you click again. If you click on one of these buttons, if you click on uh, on the button next to subclass person, then what happens is if your ontology already contains a class person, then it creates a link between researcher and person. If it doesn't contain the class person, it creates a class person and it makes it a superclass of the class researcher. And then what is interesting is that you can continue. You can then search for person and find relations and find statements that apply to person. And you can build your ontology by reusing bits and pieces of any of the ontology that may be there on the web. An interesting side effect of this application is also that not only you build an ontology reusing other ontologies, which is already quite funny and uh, that already provide an interesting future for reuse that favorite, uh, favor reuse, but in addition to that, whenever you reuse an entity from another ontology, in background, it automatically creates a link between this particular entity you integrate to the ontology and the, the original entity, which is on the original ontology, meaning that during the ontology building process, while you are reusing elements from for your ontology, you are actually creating mappings that will at the end create a network of ontology which your ontology will be center of and that kind of interlink different ontologies from different places on the web that are made then interoperable. So this is a very interesting side effect of this tool. So this is basically um, what I have to say about Watson in its current state, meaning it's a sort of semantic web search engine, but it's a more a gateway of a gateway, and our goal is really to allow applications to make use of what is on the web currently as a, to provide a smart future, something new and something um, exploiting the knowledge on the web, or to actually help in further ontology engineering and in further refining uh, this body of knowledge that is on the web. But if you go to slide 15, um, well, it says basically Watson is a semantic web search engine or a gateway. It is not an ontology repository. So, and that is an interesting question of what is the relation between this sort of search engine and what could be ontology repositories and what 
how semantic web search engines like Watson can provide um, can provide interesting elements to building ontology repositories. So if you go to slide 16, you see that I reproduced again the architecture of Watson. This is what a semantic web search engine looks like. Now, if you click again, um, you can see that there is not much difference if you look at it from a very abstract, uh, a very abstract perspective. Is that if you simplify really everything, the difference between a semantic web search engine and an ontology repository is not necessarily the future it provides, but in who is providing the, uh, the ontologies to put in there. So, in a first very simple approximation, if you replace the crawler of Watson by something where a user can provide ontologies, you obtain something that looks like an ontology repository. Now, it will be very, it will be really oversimplifying and it will be not considering the, all the advantages of being able to do that. Because first, one element of ontology repositories is that if you click, you see another animation. There is more than one user. And this is a very interesting point. From the Watson point of view, ontologies come from the web. Uh, Watson doesn't care who has created it, who has put it online, and uh, how it came there. While in an ontology repository, you can know who has provided, who has submitted an, an ontology, who is interested in this ontology, you can actually consider the interaction between the users and the ontology in the way you build, uh, you build the, the repository, which is an additional information, which is something more uh, to help people and applications find the ontologies. Now, other interesting part is that if you click again, uh, users can provide more than ontologies. In Watson, currently, we automatically extract ontology metadata. But what we can provide, what users can provide, is, uh, well, user-provided metadata. They can annotate the ontologies. They can fully exploit the OMB format, provide information about the creator of the ontology, the methodology that has been used to, uh, to build it, um, the, the tool that has been used to uh, to build it, where, what is institution it comes from, what other ontology it relates to, what sort of, what version of another ontology it might be, or what variant of another ontology it might be. So that's another way to exploit the user and to make this sort of, uh, this sort of tool more useful for people wanting to reuse and file ontologies. Now, uh, another element is that if you have users, you can provide more than an ontology at a time. You can provide version. You can allow the user to manage his ontologies online or to get ontology spaces where you have different versions of ontologies or where ontologies pro uh, eventually interlink. So you get to click again, you get the version and the alignments, and my figures start to be very crowded, meaning that you can ask the user not only to provide the ontologies but to provide the information about how this ontology evolves, provide information about how this ontology interlinks, and really ask every user, each user, and not really ask them, but provide them the way to manage their ontologies online and to create ontology spaces, which are more than just bags of ontologies, but ontologies that are networked, ontologies that are related, 
so that they are more usable. And finally, uh, if you click again, you can uh, you can also not only consider the ontology by itself in a formal way, but as soon as you enter this sort of uh, system, you can start considering more advanced future between the user and in the interaction between the user and the ontology. You can provide comments, you can provide reviews, you can provide trust statements of one particular user may not trust a given ontology, or one particular user may not trust a particular other user in reviewing an ontology. And all this provides um, ways to customize and to uh, make to make the task of finding, selecting, and exploiting online openly available ontologies more easy and more efficient. So this is this looks a lot like uh, a very, I'll say, uh, a very last minute and handcrafted figure. But uh, just to say, if you go to the next slide, which I can't see what number it is. Um, to the next one, so uh, which is slide 18, I think, um, we, you get a vision of what we are working on right now, because simply what I sketched in the previous slide is um, is quite interesting as a perspective. It is a, a search engine like Watson provides a, a very efficient and very useful piece of uh, infrastructure component, something robust, something you can use for applications. Now, if you can start integrating other technologies and integrating users in the loop, meaning users providing more information and take benefits from the collaborative aspects of an ontology repository, you get a better system. So the future of Watson is a system we are currently building, which is called Cupboard. So basically, the idea of Cupboard is to provide the basic infrastructure for an ontology repository. The idea is that we will combine the Watson engine, Oyster, which is a peer-to-peer -peer system for sharing ontology metadata, which is entirely based on the OMV uh, standard, the ontology metadata vocabulary. Uh, we'll have an open rating system developed by the, ontology of Car uh, the University of Karlsruhe, which will allow... Uh, people to review not only ontologies, but review particular properties of ontologies, like the reusability, its complexity, uh, its quali formal quality, and also to integrate an element of trust, an element of meta-review. People will be able to say whether they trust a particular review, whether they agree with it. And uh, all this will be propagated into, um, into a sort of a trust network that in the end, the more information you put about what you consider as good and what you consider as trustable, the best, the best ontology selection mechanism you have for, uh, according to your own taste, meaning that you get a customization of the ranking of ontologies when you search it through the Watson engine. We also integrate uh, the alignment server, which is the, uh, which is developed by the INRIA Institute in France, to store and uh, evaluate, combine, and manipulate mappings between uh, between the ontology and ontology spaces. Now, if you go to the next slide, which I hope should be 19 now, 
Um, there is another aspect of cupboard we want to consider is that not only it should be an ontology repository, but also it makes sense then for this sort of ontology repository to be directly linked to the Watson search engine, meaning that the repository and the search engine will, will exchange information. It looks a bit simple to think, I mean, it looks a bit obvious and simple. Uh, the, the thing it provides is that then Cupboard becomes becomes more than a simple repository. It becomes a publication infrastructure for people who have ontologies but don't want to bother having a web server to put them on or don't want to bother to try to understand the best practices in doing that and don't want to bother to have this particular ontology uh, before to index uh, into, the, into search engines like Watson by using ping the semantic web or these sort of things. It's for users who have have developed an ontology, developed several ontologies, or simply found ontologies online, to create an ontology space when they can just upload it. And as soon as they upload it, it is, this ontology is directly indexed by Watson, is directly usable, and then can be exploited through the Watson API to build applications. Now, the other interesting part is that I've been talking about ontology spaces quite a lot, which is this idea that you won't have one repository. You will have multiple uh, repositories. Each user will have its own repository. And we are planning on building on the peer-to-peer -peer infrastructure of Oyster to also provide the ability for different institutions to get their own, uh, their own instance of cupboard, meaning that each of them can have its own set of ontology spaces with its own users and control the way these different um, these different repositories communicate with the main one and with Watson and exchange information with this one, meaning that we are not going to have one ontology repository, we are going to have multiple ontology spaces which, we, which are distributed among a network of ontology repositories managed by different institutions. So I'm getting to the end. I kind of hope I took the right time. Um, so to conclude on this talk at slide 20, um, well, what I wanted to show is that we have a powerful engine to index semantic content, to index ontologies, and to build applications that take really take benefit from the content that is available online, that the content that this particular engine has, uh, has indexed. So it's Watson. And it provides the basic functionality to build ontology repositories that, um, that can allow active dynamic user contributions in various forms. But more than just building a repository, what we want to propose is a decentralized multi-repository where users can build ontology spaces, can build their own their own place in the semantic web where they can publish their ontologies, they can make them available, and uh, they can make them reusable in a simple and efficient way to other applications. So we are thinking of a decentralized network for sharing, distributing, discussing, and making use of ontologies. So that, I think, is the end. Slide 21 is a thank you slide. You get here the URL of... Uh, of the Watson interface that points directly to the Watson website, to the blog, my email address if you need that, 
and all these pictures are the pictures of people who are or have been involved at some point uh, in the development of Watson or in the development of various applications that uh, rely on Watson. I think I'm done. This is all I wanted to to say about it. So I okay. still here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mathieu. Um, I think if I understand correctly, the procedure is to uh, go on with the next talk, actually the next two talks, and after that have the discussion. Uh, so I would ask uh, Matthew to uh, proceed with the next talk, but I give a brief introduction. So Matthew is a PhD student at the uh, University of Manchester. Uh, working mostly on the topic of entailments in all ontologies, more specifically on justifications. So uh, perhaps uh, you will explain a bit more on this also in your talk, but you will mainly uh, talk about the Tones uh, ontology repository. Matthew, please. Okay, um, welcome to this talk. Um, so I'm going to uh, talk about the Tones repository, and the talk is split into three main areas. First one is the motivation, so why do we need yet another ontology repository? And the second one um, is actually about using the repository, so I'll uh, give you a brief tour of uh, user interfaces to the repository and um, show you different ways of accessing it. And then the third area is Outlook, so what kind of features we would like out of our repository and what kind of features we plan to add to the repository in the future. So, next slide, slide two. So, why another ontology repository? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons here. The first, if we look at existing repositories, well, um, these seem to be primarily geared towards people trying to reuse ontologies for domain modeling. And I think this is reflected by the fact that the main interfaces to these repositories uh, tend to only, main user interfaces, I, I mean, tend to only support uh, browsing and searching by keywords. So if you're developing an ontology about animals and you want to talk about cats, then you can type in cats and hopefully find some ontologies that, uh, about cats. What these don't allow you to do is, uh, so easily, um, is find ontologies that contain certain features and certain constructs. So, um, for example, the types of axioms that an ontology uh, contains. Um, so existing repositories really um, are too coarse-grained. Um, it's not easy to get back, for example, the number of logical axioms in an ontology, or more specifically, say, the number of equivalent classes axioms in an ontology. Um, so the repository that we've got is more analytics-based um, rather than modeling-based. We don't expect people to try and reuse ontologies for modeling from this tone repository. We rather expect people to come along and say, "Can I, I want some ontologies that have got these features. Um, and also, we want the repository to contain interesting samples uh, rather than samples that are representative of what's out there on the semantic web. So, for example, we might actually want to uh, look at ontologies that contain modeling errors. Uh, for example, ontologies that contain unsatisfiable classes or even inconsistent ontologies. And we want these to test tools, for example. But 
these ontologies might ne ne might never get published on the semantic web. In fact, it's probably the case that they won't do. And so we won't have access to these uh, through these traditional repositories that go out and crawl the web. Um, and we, when I say we want ontologies that we find interesting, what I mean is from our point of view, we want ontologies that push the tools to the limits, so push reasoners to the limits. We want ontologies that are, for example, hard to reason with. Uh, and so the primary motivation isn't to say, isn't uh, that we want to say we contain an ontology repository of over 100,000 ontologies uh, that we've got, but we contain an ontology, we have an ontology repository that contains um, a few hundred um, interesting ontologies. So, in other words, I think the motivations for this tones repository are different from the usual motivations uh, that we've seen for ontology repositories in general. Uh, so, next slide, slide three. So, uh, these were the initial requirements when we decided to develop the uh, ontology repository. We wanted, primarily, we wanted an actual place to store the ontologies. And again, this is different to the approach taken by other repositories and um, portals in that um, these, these other techniques and other t uh, tools uh, tend to point to ontologies on the web. So they just store the URI to ontologies rather than actually importing the ontologies themselves. And the reason why we want to store these ontologies is that um, it makes it more likely that we can uh, have more reliable access to the ontologies for experiments when we need them. Um, it allows us to keep previous versions of an ontology that might otherwise be replaced if they were just published on the web, so they might get replaced with later versions. But we want to keep the old versions uh, of the ontology, in particular ones that might contain mistakes. Um, it allows people to send us ontologies that are useful for us, uh, that we want to test with tools, that they might otherwise not publish, uh, so ontologies that we couldn't actually get to on the web. And related to that point, uh, it allows us to keep and reference ontologies that contain mistakes that might not otherwise be published. So if an author publishes an ontology and they realize it contains modeling errors or they realize that it's our full route when they meant it to be LDL, for example, um, they might remove it or replace it. And really, we'd actually like the um, other versions, even the ones with the modeling errors. And then finally, it allows us to curate ontologies. So there may be certain ontologies that we get that are all full for silly reasons, and it could be LDL, or even outside of the expressiveness of owl 2 And if it, these ontologies were just repaired, they might be quite interesting ontologies for us. So if we copy these uh, ontologies, take copies of them, apply repairs to the ontologies, and um, put them into the repository. So for example, uh, the Tambis ontology has proved to be uh, very useful uh, for uh, examples of ontologies that you like to debug for t testing the tools and so on. Uh, but the original version contained a cardinality restriction on the transitive property. And this isn't allowed in LD LDL, but after removing this um, transitive, uh, the transitivity, um, the ontology still contained, uh, then contained a lot of unsatisfiable classes. And um, having the repository and important ontologies and curating them would allow us to keep such ontologies and repaired versions of ontologies. Um, and then what we also wanted was uh, plenty of different metrics. So not just, as I say, we didn't want to search ontologies by keywords. 
um, but we wanted different metrics about ontologies, so not just things like the number of classes and properties, which aren't especially important, but more specific information like the number of axioms, the numbers of different types of axioms, for example. And finally, we wanted an easy way to browse the list of ontologies containing the repository and an easy way to uh, filter the ontologies based on the metrics and search uh, through different metrics in the repository. So initially, just something fairly simple, uh, not any kind of particularly sophisticated APIs or query languages required for the first cut. Okay, next slide, slide four. So now I'm going to move on to just showing you the interface to the repository. And you can get to uh, the repository from this site here, which is owls.cs.manchester.ac.uk. And if you click on the ontology repository link, what the screenshot you see here is a general uh, OWL website of Manchester. It contains lots of other nice things as well. Uh, but we'll just focus on the repository today. Um, so um, once you've gone into this link, we'll have the next slide. What you see here is uh, the repository browser. So we'll just go straight to the browser. And you can see here or just a small fraction of it. Um, it's basically um, a table uh, with that lists the ontologies, um, and it makes it possible to find ontologies that you might be interested in, and we'll come on to looking at different ways of accessing this and um, a few different tools, but we'll just focus on this browsing interface for now. So as I say, what you see here is the ontology uh, browser, and ontologies are listed in this table, um, we can just see a few lines of it at the moment, but at the moment we've got uh, over 200 ontologies in the repository. And the table by default uh, just shows a couple of metrics. Uh, so by default, it shows the name of the names of ontologies, it shows the DL expressivity of these ontologies, and the number of logical axioms in the ontology, as opposed to uh, annotation axioms. Um, we're particular interest, particularly interested in uh, services based on reasoning and the logical aspects of the ontology. So for our purposes, we can ignore this information, uh, the information about annotations, but we can get to this too. And in the final column, you see we've got a couple of links for each ontology, and uh, this is where we can actually easily download a version of the ontology um, and also uh, a link to browsing the ontology. So by default, uh, we provide ontologies in RDF-XML format, since uh, this is the format that most of the tools seem to consume. However, we also make the ontology available in other formats. So for example, we've got the new OWL-XML format, which is uh, easier, arguably easier to write a parser for uh, than RDF-XML. So people who are just testing um, the reasoners, they might want these easier to parse formats. And you can also obtain the versions of the ontologies without annotations. And uh, this is because if you want to test a reasoner or other services that only operate on the logical aspects of an ontology, uh, this can save you um, a lot of memory when you load the ontology. So, for example, I think the last time I looked, the NCI thesaurus needed about 350 megabytes to load to be held in memory, but um, this is with the OWL API. Uh, but only required 80 megabytes to actually hold the logical part of the ontology and the rest with annotations. So we provide versions of the ontologies without all the 
um, extra logical information in them. Okay, on to the next slide, slide six. Uh, so uh, I said we could add more metrics to this table, and you can do this by clicking this select metric link, which is ringed uh, here. And when you do that, you get uh, through to a new page where you can choose uh, a lot, lot of different metrics. So you can add metrics to this table. And you get quite a choice already. Uh, we want to add some more metrics. I'll come on to that later. Um, but at the moment, you select which metrics you want, and then you save them and go back to the main um, ontology repository table. So next slide. So uh, here you see I've just added inverse property axioms to uh, as a metric to the table. It just adds it as an extra column. Um, and uh, this is, might be the kind of thing I want to do if I'm developing a reasoner, because a lot of reasoners find inverse properties hard to deal with, or, or more challenging to deal with, rather. Uh, so I can uh, look at the ontologies, and I can also click on the links at the top of these columns to sort by the metrics. So if, for example, I wanted an ontology with lots of inverse property axioms in it, like uh, Open Galen, then I might uh, sort by inverse property axioms and I can select these ontologies. So on to the next slide. Slide 8. As well as uh, sorting ontologies, we can filter um, the um, ontologies that are shown so we can apply specific filters. So after you've selected your metrics, you can click the filter button, and then you can say, for example, well, I only want to see ontologies that have uh, got a certain number of axioms in them, or more specifically, a certain number of uh, particular type of axiom, and so on. So when you get these filtered results, it shows you how many out of uh, the, how many ontologies is retrieved out of the repository, and you can go along further and refine the filter. On to slide nine. So quite a nice feature then is that after browsing the repository and applying these filters, so here you see I've, I've looked for all EL++ ontologies in the repository with a, a reasonably large number of logical axioms over 2,000. It's got 20 ontologies. Quite a nice feature is that I can actually get a URI for this. And I can bookmark, uh, I can send this URI around to other people, um, colleagues, or I can bookmark this so when I come back to the repository at a later date, I can still just uh, quickly apply this filter. Um, and this is because all of the information is encoded in a URI, and we support a RESTful interface to the repository. Uh, I'll come on to that in a, in a moment. Um, but, and we also plan to uh, provide a grid augmentation of the repository page that you see here, so that after selecting some ontologies uh, using this filtering mechanism, um, you can then uh, browse all of the ontologies in some kind of tool like Owl Site. You can pass Owl Site or Protege 4, say the link uh, that you bookmark, bookmark, and it'll open all of these filtered ontologies. On to the next slide, which is slide 10. Um, so we don't actually, I've mentioned you could browse ontologies, there was a link there, and all this does is it connects through to the OWL site web browser and asks it to load the ontologies, passes the URI for the ontology to this browser. Um, we, uh, at the moment we don't uh, support any, we don't directly support any browsing 
or querying mechanisms of the actual ontologies themselves, all of this is delegated to third-party services and tools. Uh, so uh, visualization and browsing of these ontologies isn't our main focus, uh, as, some, as it is for some other repositories. It, we might add some features in the future, but not at the moment. Um, slide 11. There are also a couple of different ways to access the uh, ontologies in the repository and access the information about which ontologies are contained in the repository. So the first that I'm going to show you here is that you can, um, if you are using Project A4 and you start Project A4, you can directly open ontologies from the repository and see the ontologies that are in the Tones repository. Uh, we recently added this uh, extra item to the welcome dialog. Uh, so you can uh, click this and then uh, you get a table with a list of the ontologies in them. And this is shown on the next slide, slide 12. So here's a table, and at the moment you can sort in the different columns. At the moment it's very simple, um, but actually we found it to be quite effective. Um, so the architecture here that we've integrated into Protege 4 actually is, uh, offers generic support for ontology repositories, so people could plug their repositories into uh, Protege 4 quite easily. Um, and it's a new type of plugin, and although it's not shown here, it hasn't been implemented uh, yet, but the, if you, as a plugin developer, implement the correct interfaces um, and provide the necessary implementations, uh, you can get the table to show uh, all of the metrics that we've seen so far through the web interface of the Tones repository. Sorry, this is quite general, but at the moment it just allows you to open ontologies uh, directly from Project 4, browse the repository directly from Project 4, and open them. On to the next slide. Uh, so the repository um, also has a RESTful interface, I mentioned this previously, and uh, it supports very, uh, various um, basic queries via this API. So you can ask for a list of the ontologies and get metrics back of an ontology. So it's, it's basic at the moment, but we found it to be quite effective. And the, on the main repository page here, uh, you see some instructions uh, for using the API. So slide 14, uh, onto the final part of the talk, and that's what we'd like to add to the repository in the future. Uh, so um, we'd like to add the, um, support the ability to have multiple versions of an ontology in the repository. Um, and this would be really useful because it would allow us to track changes and see how an ontology typically evolves. And I think people working on modularization uh, researching modularization techniques would find this particularly useful because they like to know uh, when ontologies evolve, do people just touch one part of the ontology or touch all of the ontology? So they could get some valuable data for this and versioning would support this. Um, we'd also like to add more metrics. So we've got quite a few metrics in there at the moment, but we'd like to add many more uh, that people can search and filter ontologies on. So to start with, for example, we'd like the classification times for ontologies. We'd like to look at the classification times for different reasoners. So reasoner developers know which ontologies are particularly hard to deal with. Um, they can also then benchmark the reasoners and see the differences recorded between reasoner releases, for example. And we also want to add other uh, metrics 
so semantic based metrics that will help people doing research on other reasoning surface. So for example, doing research into explanation and for testing my tools now implementations of algorithms, I want ontologies that contain interesting entailments so they get some information inferred by a reasoner. Um, so, for example, I'm going to add this as a metric. Um, I'd like to know for other things like the number of explanations for entailments and the size of these explanations and so on. So, many more metrics to come. And uh, finally, we'd like to add uh, shareable bookmarks for sets of ontologies. So, we're also developing a general testing framework for our tools. And we'd like the ability to uh, mark sets of ontologies in the repository and persist these as bookmarks so that if you're performing an experiment um, uh, and you publish some data, uh, some experimental data that you've gathered, you can just point to a bookmark in the Tollens repository and it should all integrate nicely with this uh, experimental framework so that the results are accessible and people can rerun the experiments and make them more reusable. On to slide 15. At the moment, people can't submit their own ontologies to the repository, so uh, we'll probably have support for this in the future. Um, and we'd like people to be able to just provide a bit more information if they do submit their ontologies. So, for example, what licenses, what its license is, um, what the status of the ontology is. So, for example, whether it's a release version or beta or alpha, or even if the ontology contains deliberate mistakes, so for example unsatisfiable classes or whether the ontology is actually inconsistent, we'd like to allow people to uh, indicate this so that if other people come along and find these uh, ontologies um, in the repository, it, um, they, people would know that uh, these are actually deliberate mistakes. And also for ontologies that contain sensitive data, um, we'd like the possibility for people to obfuscate it so we, they can change the names of classes and properties to meaningless identifiers. And then we've got the ontology as a resource for testing tools, but we can't actually easily interpret what the ontology is about. Uh, slide 16. So finally, uh, again now, we'd like to also go beyond ontologies. So um, with, if we're qu I'm querying the ontology repository for ontologies uh, that contain particular features, when um, I obtain a set of ontologies back, I get a set of ontologies that are defined by these metrics that I've specified. And it'd be quite nice to actually open all of these ontologies in the tool automatically and rather, browse, rather than browsing by an ontology, just browse by these metrics. So, for example, I mentioned adding metrics that indicate how many justifications or explanations entailments in the ontology have in an ontology have and I'd rather just really browse these kind of real examples of explanations rather than having to browse oriented by an ontology so browsing within uh, the um, subsets of the ontology that represent the metrics so a kind of uh, metrics on metrics if you like so in this case, we don't care about the ontology per se. We just want to browse real examples and features of uh, ontologies, first and foremost. Okay, and on to the last slide. So there's a link to uh, the repository and other OWL-related stuff that we're doing on Manchester. And that completes my talk. Th uh, Matthew, uh, thank yeah. you very much. So...
Um, yeah, well, that leaves the third talk. That's me. So I will just uh, continue, I guess. Um, so if you have my slides, it would say uh, on the select the browser and search engine for ontologies. Um, next slide, uh, overview. So we, we already saw uh, some different perspectives, and actually this again is a, a somewhat different perspective more from the natural language processing and the text analysis point of view. And uh, I will say a little bit about the, the context of, uh, of ontology repositories. They, they are one part in the ontology lifecycle. Uh, I will then talk about ontoselect in, in detail. And uh, at the end, I'm coming back to this idea of ontologies and, and natural language. So the life cycle, ontology life cycle, um, why ontologies are, are not static uh, things. They uh, develop over time. That's because the domains, if we talk about domain-specific ontologies, these domains uh, change also. And coming from the natural language point of uh, the natural language processing point of view, um, this this change in domain is also reflected in in, in changing uh, text collections, changes in in how people talk about concepts, and uh, so that's something that we uh, studied and uh, implemented some, some systems uh, for ontology uh, learning. And if you think about ontology learning or ontology evolution based on text analysis on text mining, you, uh, you also get to the idea of um, using already existing ontologies, sort of com combining text mining with existing ontologies. And that's how we started the, the idea of ontoselect, just by collecting ontologies that we could find, that we could find on the web. And uh, so that's, uh, that's really the create and select a step in the ontology lifecycle. Then, of course, you populate it, you validate the, the ontology, uh, the, the knowledge base. You actually use it, so maybe the most, probably the most important step, knowledge retrieval. You maintain the ontology. You do usability tests if everything is still uh, still uh, okay in the sense that uh, the, the semantics that's represented in ontology does it still reflect the, the application domain. If not, we need to extend or modify the ontology, and we're back to the creation and selection, and we can again start looking for ontologies that may help us in extending the ontology in, in different ways. Uh, if we go to the next slide, so very simple. Um, that is where the ontoselect uh, onto is located also, and to the next slide, so now I'm on slide five. A little bit. Unfortunately, uh, this slide has been uh, damaged a little bit. Some of the, the arrows are misplaced now. But you basically get the idea that uh, we have some knowledge-based application on top, uh, and then um, we actually, coming from the natural language point of point of view, we we take a representative uh, set of texts, uh, analyze these, and match them with ontologies that we found on the web to identify the most fitting ontology for our application as expressed by uh, a domain-specific text collection that represents that application. So further steps also based on text, populating the ontology based on information extraction, 
interaction with, uh, you build up a knowledge base, interaction with this knowledge base through uh, question answering based on text analysis, and then uh, if we need to evolve the ontology, we can apply ontology learning from text. Uh, so these, this is sort of the natural language processing text analysis view on the ontology lifecycle. And again, next slide, uh, six. So uh, again, ontoselect is based here. Next slide, slide seven. So then to ontoselect. Um, this is really about harvesting ontologies. So here's a little bit different perspective, for instance, from the tones. Repository, um, we, we simply harvest ontologies, which is, again, is a bit similar to what uh, Watson is uh, uh, doing. And um, we automatically um, index and update. We do regular, actually, we, we don't have a, um, like, uh, a very frequent uh, harvesting, but a regular harvesting, monitoring the web, updating the database. We allow browsing and searching. Uh, the searching is by uh, three different uh, approaches that I will talk about. You can also uh, browse and search uh, classes, properties, and uh, also the labels, uh, also in different languages. And again, here this is a bit, little bit uh, specific. Uh, uh, aspect of the ontoselect uh, ontology repository. You can also uh, submit your ontology, so it will be integrated in the next uh, update. And interestingly, uh, we keep uh, a number of statistics on formats used on human languages, on frequently used labels, and on uh, who is publishing these ontologies. And I will talk about uh, each of these points. Uh, slide eight. So this is the browsing interface to also select um, with uh, the first uh, three ontologies highlighted. Um, so you can uh, sort uh, these. Um, you can sort this information in different ways by language, by format, also by the number of labels, number of classes, number of properties, and uh, for instance, also by the domain. So who's publishing the ontology? and of course by, by title. <clears throat> and then you can browse according to the starting letter uh, of the title of the ontology. You can, you can browse according to the alphabet through, through the ontologies also. Um, if we go to slide nine. Um, Actually, I, I forgot. Uh, so we uh, we harvest ontologies uh, that uh, basically have extensions uh, all RDF, S, and uh, demo, or uh, uh, or that we recognize as such. Um, okay, this this slide is about included uh, ontologies. Um, so this is another way of sorting the uh, the ontologies that we have in the database. Um, which is basically kind of uh, Google PageRank uh, type uh, measure where we uh, keep track of which ontology is uh, uh, pointing to which ontology and uh, which of those ontologies is pointed to by other ontologies and so on. And uh, this results in a measure where, um, uh, which is then shown in the last uh, column. So the Ontology with title one, actually this is 
the title is probably a bit longer. Sometimes our title uh, uh, cutting doesn't always work so perfectly. Uh, this uh, uh, this ontology is actually uh, Dublin Core, one version of the Dublin Core. So this is a very central ontology, and then we have RDF syntax, RDF schema, Protege, uh, and then other ontology. Also AL, which is on uh, position 8 or 9, I think. So these are all central ontologies which have a, a higher uh, score. And next slide, uh, slide number 10. So then we allow, uh, besides browsing, we also allow searching for ontologies. So here the basic idea is, again, mainly from the natural language processing point of view, but uh, in general, you want to find background knowledge as coded encoded in ontologies that uh, may fit your task, which in natural language processing would be semantic analysis of, of text, uh, ontology-based information extraction, that kind of task. So uh, the idea is that you have a particular uh, task that you're working on, a particular application, and you may be able to define that task by a keyword. Let's say, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's say uh, uh, genetics, uh, in my examples, uh, genetics is your uh, sort of broad task application domain, and uh, this is a keyword that you can can use to find ontologies on genetics. We also allow uh, more topic-based and document-specific ontology search, and I'll talk about that. We use some uh, relevance criteria um, that are uh, uh, formulated in uh, in a score, actually a, a combination of scores. One uh, on term matching, which is uh, sort of... Uh, more standard information retrieval uh, approach. Uh, then um, structure, which is a, a very simple, but uh, it's still uh, effective way of um, uh, getting a simple measure on how detailed the knowledge structure is, uh, where we simply um, uh, take uh, a score of how many properties there are relative to classes, and if there's only one, one property, it will be a very uh, uh, simple uh, structure, uh, probably a taxonomy where we have uh, only one uh, property. Um, then we have um, connectedness, so that's the number of included ontologies, so higher, so ontologies that are included more uh, have a higher score, and then we have a combination of these uh, scores. Uh, next slide on slide 11. Uh, so first we have keyword search, which is very simple. Um, we have um, a search on the ontology title, so we can give genetics uh, as a, a keyword uh, search on the ontology titles, and we actually only find one ontology, which is called pharmacogenetics ontology. Um, so this is... Uh, partly sufficient, um, but we would like to know if there's also other ontologies that perhaps do not have genetics in the title, but um, somewhere deeper in the in the ontology. And and also, if we now go to the next slide, to slide 12, and uh, not only taking genetics, but related words to genetics, 
um, that together uh, constitute a, a topic. So here we, um, sorry, I have to go back to, uh, no, okay, uh, we said slide uh, 12. So um, here we, uh, from, from on to select, uh, we, we make connection basically to Wikipedia and we treat the keyword that is given, for instance, genetics uh, as a Wikipedia search. We search for a page that corresponds to this uh, keyword. We take the, the Wikipedia page and analyze this and, um, and um, through a, a shallow linguistic analysis and a um, uh, statistical analysis identifying which are the most relevant uh, words or basically the most relevant nouns on this uh, Wikipedia page, we get something like shown on the next slide, on slide 13, where genetics um, the, the genetics Wikipedia page has been analyzed and keywords like inheritance, uh, trade, organism, gene, and so on are, uh, have been found to be uh, relevant uh, uh, to nouns from, uh, from the Wikipedia page and are now uh, included into the, into the search. And now we get on slide 14 we get a uh, richer result set um, where we have uh, where the matches are also shown all the information of the ontology that are found they are ranked according to the score that I talked about before and um, yeah so the matches the keyword matches uh, are also shown for instance in the NCI oncology ontology gene uh, has been matched evolution mutation uh, and so on and for the rest, the information is like in the browsing uh, interface. If we go to slide 15, um, it may be that you don't trust Wikipedia, for instance, or you have a set of documents, uh, web documents, uh, in mind that represent your task uh, much better, or one particular document that represents your task, your application much better, you can also uh, give the URL of this web document. So, for instance, uh, this uh, genetics page of the, uh, of the journal Nature. And in the next slide on 16, so um, just very briefly, so on the second box you see ontology topic search, and you can either uh, give a Wikipedia topic, which was the genetics, as I showed before, or you give a URL if you say that this is a URL, you give the URL, and um, the same thing basically happens with the Wikipedia page. This page is downloaded, analyzed, and keywords are extracted, which are shown on page 17 for this particular example. You get things like uh, receptor and biology, cancer research, also other things like anniversary, which are probably not so helpful, uh, and also things like journal which uh, for this kind of uh, web pages is, is, is common, but also not particularly useful. So, <clears throat> uh, so there's a combination of things here. Uh, on the next slide, slide 18, you get the results uh, for this um, search. And again, you, in this version of Ontoselect, you got NCI Oncology, um, you get the Sequence Ontology, 
um, but you get also things like the comma ontology, which is more on uh, yeah, research, um, talking about journal, uh, the act ontology, which is also about research in general, and so on. Then, going to statistics on slide uh, 19, um, currently we have 1,530 ontologies uh, collected, and of those, uh, the majority are in all. We uh, have this more superficial analysis if these are full, low light, or DL ontologies, which is not always successful. Uh, so this is, for instance, something where the tones repository is, is much more, is complementary, is much much deeper on, on this uh, side, of course. But still, it gives some some overview that most ontologies that we collect that are probably out there on the web are in all, and there is still a fair number <coughs> also in um, in in demo. They're still around, and uh, and some in RDFS. The, the next slide, slide 20. Uh, interesting is also to see who is publishing uh, the ontologies, who is uh, publishing the most ontologies. Actually, demo.org is uh, on top, but that's because we actually integrate the demo uh, library, so that's not surprising. Uh, there is a, a number on uh, domains like Perl and uh, W3. But then there are... Um, Domain names like um, LOA CNR, which is a uh, is a central, uh, very central uh, ontology uh, research institute in Italy. NASA is there. Uh, SemanticDesktop.org is uh, related to a a, a larger uh, semantic web uh, European project. Uh, Lovia is there, University of Maryland, Freie Universiteit Amsterdam in, in Holland. So there's a number that are actually uh, to be expected. Um, then, if you go on to <coughs> slide 21, we're getting into, again, back to the, the natural language processing uh, point of view. It's interesting for us to see um, which ontologies are actually, um, let's say, available uh, in different languages. Um, of course, the ontology itself is, is language independent, but there are labels and there are different languages, or they, they can be in different languages. Um, unfortunately, only 136 are of the, of the one, uh, 1,000, of, of the 1,530 ontologies. So only about 9% actually have an indication of the, the language of the, of the labels. So they, they may be actually more ontologies with, with labels in different languages, but we, we simply don't know. We cannot track that. Uh, this is based on the XML uh, language ID, basically. Um, so uh, most, not surprising, most of these ontologies by far are uh, still in English. Uh, there's uh, some number in, in German, in French, in Spanish, and then uh, a number of other languages which have only one, one or two or three uh, ontologies. We've been tracking this for a couple of years now and, and the situation is actually not changing much. Uh, so there is some, some more ontologies in German, maybe a little, a little bit more in French and Spanish, but the, um, the numbers are not really changing much.
Um, then we have slide 22. Um, for us, another interesting uh, statistics is the most frequently used labels, and, and here we would like to interpret labels as words or terms. So which words are, are most often? Uh, of course, these are, again, also concepts, but uh, if we see them as, as words, uh, which words are, are most often uh, defined by ontologies uh, out there on the web? And uh, in our counting, uh, person is the most... Uh, the most uh, uh, defined uh, word, or the other way around, is the most common uh, concept uh, described. It has 22 ontologies in which a person is uh, defined. Location is 22. Address is 21. Uh, and these are actually uh, also um, not uh, surprising. They're sort of expected, but still interesting that they are on top. These are also the, the, the things that are have been most uh, have been most studied in information extraction. So this coincides uh, nicely. If we go to uh, slide 23, then I yeah then I uh, go back to what I uh, mentioned. Uh, Early on, in the natural language process, from a natural language processing point of view, if we um, if we look at uh, the list that I just showed, uh, not only as a list of concepts but also as a list of words, and behind those words are definitions of these words given in these ontologies. It would be an interesting uh, idea and interesting uh, research uh, topic to explore further of, of of seeing this collection of ontologies, this ontology repository. Of ontologies globally defined uh, as kind of a distributed dictionary. And now I, I uh, go a little bit into uh, into natural language processing or text analysis. If we have a dictionary, we have the word article, which is uh, defined, for instance, on dictionaryreference.com by five uh, uh, meanings. So there's a article, very general, individual thing. There's a particular section or item of a written document. So that's uh, Let's say the sort of the the, the paper uh, writing, the article. You have a non-functional literary composition. Then you have part of speech and a particular part or subject. Now, if we uh, go back to onto select, we can uh, we can actually find uh, ontologies that define article. And uh, in this version of uh, of onto select, there were 26 different ontologies that define article, and if we go to uh, slide 25, we have, for instance, the comma ontology, which defines article as a um, section of a written document. So this corresponds to one of those uh, dictionary uh, interpretations. If we go to slide 26, we have the gold ontology on linguistics, and here article is defined as a uh, part of speech, and this is another uh, dictionary definition, namely number uh, four of the dictionary definitions that I showed you before. So uh, for us, uh, this is a, an interesting uh, uh, way to look at ontology repositories more from a natural language processing point of view. Can we uh, somehow treat uh, this global uh, collection of ontologies as a very large and distributed uh, dictionary where we can look up the meaning 
of, of words and then to be used in natural language processing. So, uh, slide 27, just a few relevant uh, publications uh, we had on the demo session, uh, ISWC in 2004, presentation on the select, and we had an uh, we did some evaluation also of onto select, uh, which we presented in 2007, and uh, the uh, the bit that I talked about uh, just just now about dictionaries and ontologies is discussed in a forthcoming chapter, and uh, going to slide 28, I have to acknowledge the different projects that uh, part of this was funded by. Thank you very much. So I now take up my uh, role again as as moderator. <clears throat> um, I think we probably have still about 20 minutes for uh, discussion. The idea is that you, um, if you want to. <clears throat> um, comment or ask questions, you put yourself in the queue by uh, clicking on the hand. And Peter just did that and is now in the queue. So if you want to, um, again, if you want to ask questions or if you want to comment, so not by chat but by, by voice, um, you put yourself in the queue. And I will see that, and I will um, I will mention your name, and I think the idea is that Peter will unmute you. Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, actually, you will have to unmute yourself by pressing a star three, uh, test your voice, and of course, uh, after you speak, then do a star two uh, to mute yourself again. Any comments? Any questions for a particular speaker? Okay, uh, maybe I'll, I'll start while others, I mean, please queue up by pressing the hand button now, uh, which is on the lower right corner of the chat screen, uh, chat board. So I, I apologize for the messed up slide. Uh, just now, no uh, yes, and and I wanted to let people know that uh, I will be sort of putting up a PDF version. Because it turns out, I mean, those arrows uh, show up differently on different uh, uh, PowerPoint clients. So I will put up a P PDF version instead. Uh, that locks it in, and hopefully uh, it will still look the same. Uh, this will be done uh, right after the session. So maybe I have a question for uh, all the speakers. I mean, first of all, thank you very much. I mean, I, I think all these absolutely shows, I mean, some of the state of art uh, in ontology repository work, and we really wished. I mean, we we had this uh, alongside uh, 
earlier this year with the other uh, work the, some of the U.S. counterparts were doing. But just out of curiosity, of course, I mentioned before, we are trying to uh, get collaboration among people who are doing similar work. Uh, how much uh, commonality is there between uh, all these different efforts? I mean, I can see OMV uh, at several places. Uh, maybe could each of the speakers comment on, on that, I mean, in terms of collaboration? Yeah. Shall, shall we make the shall we make the round of the speakers? So so mature first. Okay. Um, yeah, so if, that, if I understand the question well, is how much uh, collaboration phase between the different works and uh, and how much we I mean how much we collaborate and converge basically. Um, I would say that yeah, I think there is a clear convergence in the work, um, in the sense that there are many things that I have seen from the tone reposi tones repository, which is quite similar to some of the things we wanted to achieve and some of the things we have done, and that's the same obviously for on select, in the sense that uh, we all have a big overlap in uh, what we want to achieve, but we also all have a particular focus. And that, that was quite clear in the three presentations and that, you know, we are focusing a lot on providing support for applications. Tones is pro uh, focusing a lot on providing a test repository, if I understand well, for uh, people building resonance. And, uh, and on to select a lot more on, um, on uh, the kind of linguistic aspect of, uh, of the different, of the, the ontologies it collects and uh, and how this can be used also in applications. Um, so, I mean, and also in the chat there has been uh, uh, relation with BioPortal and there are obviously relations with lots of other repositories. So, yeah, in terms of um, of convergence, it seems clear that there is a, a real common point um, but at the same time, I'm not surprised that there are not that much more collaborations between the different initiatives in the sense that they all have their own perspective. Uh, the collaboration we have is mainly uh, with people like uh, the people building OMV and uh, the Oster Ontology Registry and people doing uh, ontology evaluation. Uh, there is also the ontologydesignpattern.org, which is... Uh, a portal about ontology design patterns, um, and uh, and all these things. So, but I think there is a great variety in all these uh, all these different works, and uh, and I see a lot of avenue for collaboration. But at the same time, without without thinking of one only on not only keeping one perspective. Not sure that answers the question. But. Um, I agree with uh, quite a lot of what Matthew said. Um, uh, we haven't, um, in developing the actual Tones repository, we haven't had much collaboration with other repository uh, developers and maintainers. 
Um, and one, I, I do agree, though, that although there seems to be some uh, high-level commonality between these repositories, uh, they all do have their own specific uh, aims. Uh, so in particular, ours isn't a ontology repository, the Tones repository isn't an ontology repository for people to um, find ontologies that they can reuse in the modeling their domain. It really is just a, a repository for people who are developing tools so we can have interesting ontologies for testing purposes um, to um, make sure the tools work nicely with real ontologies that are out there. But as I say, these ontologies aren't meant for reusing in domain modeling. Uh, yeah, so from my point of view, um, but in terms of cooperation, um, yeah, not not really, I think. Um, so we we have an exchange of, of experiences um, in, in the context perhaps of European uh, project meetings and European uh, conferences. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of traveling in, in, in Europe and a lot of exchange of uh, ideas. Um, so that, that brings things together and uh, actually an event like this also uh, helps and this is even international um, beyond beyond Europe, I mean. Um, so that, that brings me actually uh, back to you, Peter, um, returning the question. So how is the situation in the U.S.? So the, the first uh, version of this uh, of these sessions was more uh, about U.S.-based initiatives. Have there been uh, cooperation, or is it more things being developed in parallel? Are things now starting to come together more? Or actually, the intent wasn't uh, for the U.S., but it ended up that way. Probably uh, because the the uh, original OR effort wasn't advertised well enough, or partly because the uh, the workshop was held in Maryland, I mean at at NIST at Gatorsburg, and of course that sort of uh, gave the advantage to the U.S. participants to be there more than uh, our friends from Europe. Uh, the OOR effort definitely is looking for uh, to looking for uh, looking for collaboration uh, on a global basis and hopefully get the best of uh, best of the talents. And mindshare of all the experts uh, in doing ontology repository and registry work. So I'm really happy uh, Paul has stepped up uh, and helped us co-organize this and start to bring uh, more of our European experts into play. And I'm definitely hoping that this mini series will now sort of refresh the effort and the desire uh, to drive a global discourse and collaboration. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, if, pe if people go back to the OR, uh, the, the, the Ontology Summit Communique, we are actually looking for uh, sort of a, a federated global open 
Jewish repository. So, and and while the open uh, aspects of it uh, is sort of looking towards open content and open technology, uh, there were also discussions about sort of keeping it with an academic license so that it sort of uh, keeps the possibility of com- commercialization uh, totally viable. So uh, with this, I'm, I'm inviting, so n- now that, I mean, today's panelists and uh, uh, participants at today's session are here, uh, we look to all of you to be part of the community that is going to help push a, a global federated uh, ontology, open ontology repository effort, uh, independent of whether it's U.S., Europe, or even Asia, or Africa, Australia, we definitely want one global effort rather than sort of disparate efforts, uh, each doing sort of uh, things slightly differently. And in the, at the end of the day, people have to spend time trying to integrate those again. So, um, thank you. I I actually saw as moderator now. I saw a, a hand by Gully Burns before, but it was retracted. If you want to ask, please mute uh, unmute by star three or three star. Yeah, this is, this is Gully. Um, I was just typing into the um, to the wiki a question, but I'll read it. So it strikes me that the Tones project is specifically geared towards providing support for ontology research rather than domain um, ontology support. And I imagine that there are a number of other issues involving the presentation of documentation um, um, and classifying different ontologies on different domains and how you would uh, try and organize ontologies across domains in a way that end users or application developers who are not necessarily ontology experts would be um, able to use. And so I was wondering if the panel would like to comment on that, um, given their expertise and and their uh, experience of actually trying to educate and train domain specialists to use ontologies within the community. Uh, well, maybe I should start, seeing as, uh, as the Tolerance Repository representative. I think, well, I think that's a fair comment. As I say, the Tolerance Repository wasn't set up to point to or contain ontologies that people might want to reuse for modelling, so they wouldn't find ontologies about specific domains that they would want to import into their existing ontologies. Rather, it was meant as a place where we could uh, gather together interesting ontologies for the purposes of tool testing, uh, ontologies that are you know, got a reasonable uh, expressivity to them, and uh, or that are very large. So I don't think the focus of the Tones repository will shift from that necessarily. Um, 
Yeah, if I can add from 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 on the select, um, I, I think it's an interesting question because it actually addresses these these two sides, um, and 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 the tones uh, repository is really on on the, the yeah on the side of the uh, the ontology engineering, uh, let's say. Uh, whereas on the select is, is much more on the other side of, of more addressing, uh, trying to make the connection to, to, to humans looking for knowledge about domains, potentially to use that in some, some application, integrated in some application. So I think, I think both is needed. Um, uh, but coming from, from, uh, my background, also natural language processing, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, language use is very close to what humans uh, do, and um, so um, so that's why we why we um, address also this issue to to allow uh, humans to make the connection from their language use to the more abstract uh, semantics. Um, yeah, if I can give a quick answer for the Western perspective, I actually not mostly from the Western perspective, uh, because I'm not sure I understand the question. But, um, yeah, what, what I think is, in, in, the, in the question is, well, basically what do you want to do with your ontologies? And I think that actually what the Tones project uh, and Tones repositories propose is something which is completely different from what Ontoselect proposed and what Watson proposed. So, um, you say, what kind of issues do we need to consider to support domain-based ontologies? Um, well, actually, that depends on which domain and what depends on what you mean by support. So, I think the three different, the three repositories we have presented and uh, all the other repositories all, as I said before, kind of look at a different perspective on what you can do to support ontologies as a, for reuse for humans or for application to exploit or for testing tools for uh, for community building or for any other purpose you can want to use, to have ontologies and to reuse them uh, considering that I even think of testing tools with ontology, real time real ontologies as a reuse purpose um, if yeah if we close this question, perhaps then there's another hand by uh, Carlos Reda. So if you want to ask a question or comment. Hello. Uh, now it's my turn. This is Carlos yeah. Rueda. I'm from Embari, the Monterrey Bay Aquarium Research Institute at, uh, in California. I'm working with the Marine Metadata, Metadata Interoperability Project. So my question is, I guess, mainly for Matthew Dakin about the Watson presentation, but, I, but also for the other panelists. So uh, this is related with the mechanisms to extract metadata from the ontologies. How is this accomplished? Uh, is there some kind of agreement or people should follow some kind of best practices or uh, to associate metadata to the ontologies. Uh, as far as I know, there is some discussion going on 
uh, in terms of uh, what is the best place to associate metadata to the ontologies are is the ontology itself to to be self-contained as much as possible possible in terms of metadata is something that needs to be external to the ontology or maybe using some kind of links or uh, some kind of mechanism. So my question is, what is the, the what comments uh, the panelists uh, have about this? Thank you. Okay, so I guess uh, I guess I can start on this one. Um, from the current Western perspective, what I can tell is that what we take as an approach currently is that since we crawl the web and do everything everything entirely automatically, we don't assume anything. Basically that all the metadata we extract are extracted I mean automatically, so meaning we don't rely on any possible uh I mean on any particular way to provide metadata. We just uh do whatever we can to get as much information as we can from the ontology. Um, but uh, of course that doesn't give really uh, expressive metadata, really interesting things like, as I was mentioning before, the methodology used to uh, to build the ontology, things like, um, uh, I think Vasu was mentioning the license of an ontology, which is a very interesting thing to add when you want to reuse it. Uh, all these things, I think, are going into the discussion about finding a standard format to describing this metadata, to which I think OMV is a very good candidate. So, as, as I described in my presentation, OMV is um, an ontology metadata vocabulary, which is based on all, meaning it's an all ontology. It can be extended. It comes besides the actual the ontology to describe various metadata and uh, and this has been used already in many different uh, projects including peer to peer networks like uh, like oyster it's used in watson it's used in uh, in uh, in some ontology editors so i think that part of the answer is into uh into trying to get things initiatives like omv to become standard and to become uh, widely used. Uh, Matthew, did you want to comment from Tones? Um, just basically to uh, echo what Matthew said, really, um, all of our metadata is generated via structural inspection of the ontology or via reasoning with the ontology. Um, we don't um, pull out any metadata uh, other than that, we might um, start to look at ontology annotations for licensing and um, might well attach annotations to ontologies uh, that say which license is used under or what the intention of the ontology was when they were in, uploaded into the ontology repository. Um, but I think uh, I might take a look at this uh, ontology metadata vocabulary as well and see if we can standardise and using that. Uh, for annotations and other information. Okay, well, briefly from Antislect, it's not a main, it's not been a main focus to, to add much metadata in the sense of metadata. Of course, we have indexing of the 
the deontology data itself, the classes, properties, and so on, and of course the, the, the well, let's say the language issues. Uh, we did look at the OMV, the ontology uh, metadata vocabulary, um, which looks uh, exactly what is needed, of course, uh, but it is quite big and quite complex. I have to say, perhaps we need. Perhaps we need an OMV uh, lights, but uh, that's probably another uh, discussion. Um, Peter, um, I'm looking at the time. Uh, we're now uh, in Germany, 9.30. Um, we have been going two hours. I think the, the session was meant to be two hours. Uh, there are no hands at the moment. Absolutely. Shall we? Yes finish the session yeah good time to wrap up so thank you all for joining us and uh, for those who are new here uh, the session has been recorded in the of course the slides are already available the audio archive as well as a transcript of the chat session will also be posted uh, on this session page so check back and of course uh, uh, for those who have responded, we've already added you to the Ontolog invitation list. So uh, look out for the next session on this OOR Ontolog uh, panel mini-series. And we look forward to everyone's continued participation. And if you are doing work on ontology repositories, try to join the OOR team in uh get some real work done uh, in terms of implementation, in terms of uh, collaboration, and so on. So, and of course, thank you very much, Paul, uh, Matthew, and Matthew, uh, and everyone who has contributed. Bye-bye. Thank you for organizing. Thank you.